This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode contains discussion of suicidal ideation. The new Netflix film Nimona is the animated tale of a mysterious, shape-shifting teenage girl. She declares herself the sidekick to a knight who's been accused of a murder he didn't commit. He just wants to clear his name, but she encourages him to become the villain she needs him to be. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Nimona on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and... Snacksing? Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is NPR producer Mallory Yu. Hey there, Mallory. Welcome back. Hey, Glenn. Always good to be here. Always good to have you. Also with us is Tasha Robinson. She's the film and streaming editor for Vox Media's entertainment site Polygon and one of the hosts of the Next Picture Show podcast. Welcome back, Tasha. Hello again, Glenn. Hello, hello. So Nimona is set in a futuristic fantasy world. you got knights and monsters, but also cell phones and cable news and flying cars. At a ceremony in which the lowborn Ballister Boldheart is made a knight of the realm, the queen is murdered, and Ballister is blamed. He's voiced by Riz Ahmed. Ballister goes into hiding, but is quickly found by a shape-shifting creature named Nimona. She's voiced by Chloe Grace Moretz. Nimona spends most of her time in the form of a teenage girl with a penchant for mayhem and destruction and a chip on her shoulder. Their partnership is fraught, with Ballister attempting to clear his name, while Nimona urges him to engage in acts of wanton destruction. Together they will challenge the kingdom's long-held beliefs and institutions and learn the importance of embracing your true self. Nimona is based on N.D. Stevenson's award-winning and hugely successful and very good graphic novel, which began as a webcomic. The film combines 2D and 3D animation and was directed by Nick Bruno and Troy Quain. The voice cast also includes Eugene Lee Yang as Ambrosia's Golden Loin, he's a rival knight, plus Francis Conroy, Julio Torres, Beck Bennett, and RuPaul Charles. It's streaming now on Netflix. Mallory, let me start with you. What'd you think? 
You know, overall, I really enjoyed myself watching this. I think Chloe Grace Moretz's voice is kind of the perfect, like, quintessential kick-butt female protagonist voice. <laughs> and I had so much fun hearing her say things like, metal. Like, it's, it, it was just a lot of fun to see her, like, causing mayhem and destruction and being kind of a mean jerk in a lot of yep. ways, right? Um, and that's part of the charm of the original graphic novel. Unfortunately, I am always going to be like that guy and think that this movie sort of pales in comparison to the book, which Mm -hmm. I really loved. I read it as a webcomic, you know, as it was coming out on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, Mm. if I remember correctly. Oh, respect. And, you know, when it was published in a graphic novel, it was really exciting for me. I really related to a lot of the sort of transformation and shape-shifting themes in the book. But also, I really liked the way the book handled questions of things like, you know, who is the real villain here? And we get some Mm -hmm. of that in the movie. And I think the movie does a good job of adapting some of that. But it's definitely for a younger audience than I think the graphic novel was definitely for. And because of that, it has to flatten some of the, like, complexity of the book. Um, And I found that a little bit sad. But I mean, overall, it was a really fun movie to watch and the animation is gorgeous. Yeah, it really is. Now, Tasha, you've written about the distinction between the book and the movie. Uh, What'd you think? I'm in the same boat as Mallory. I Mm -hmm. try not to judge the success of a a piece of art entirely based on another piece of art that it's indebted to. It's just very difficult at times when you have something that's really close to your heart to see a transformative work lose a lot of the nuance, which is the case here. The original graphic novel was something Andy Stevenson was working on. He started an art school, and it's very much an artist finding his voice over time, finding the narrative, finding the tone. And it's just got a really janky, voicey, individual, unique sense of humor in a lot of ways. There's a scene in the book where the quote-unquote villain, uh, Ballister, is stealing a piece of equipment to use in a a scheme, and his opposite number slash best frenemy, uh, Golden Link, charges in and yells, Unhand that science! (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the things that's just been really flattened out in this movie. Everything's been broadened and kind of commodified to be just like a very familiar kind of kids' movie story in a way. Now, the movie ends up going to some pretty dark and personal places, much as the original book did, in a much more conventional way than the book did, but in a way that I think is still pretty bold, pretty unusual usual and gives people a lot to discuss. Mm -hmm. I love the setting, what uh, Andy Stevenson refers to as a monk punk. (laughs) I think it's really neat how this semi-feudal yet high-tech society kind of serves as an invitation for all of us to examine like our own society and like what's a holdover from like decades or even centuries ago that we don't ever examine. The fact that this entire society is based on knights and armor, even if they're like flying around in hovercraft, Mm -hmm. it's just really distinctive. And the question of who gets knighted and who gets to be a hero is a a big thing in this story. Nimona's constant physical transformations are a big center of this movie in a way that's really visually fun. There's just a lot going on with the energy that reminds me of Netflix's Mitchells versus the Machines. Mm -hmm. I had that in my notes. How about that? So there you go. I mean, there's a lot to recommend this movie, but in the end, I, I do hope that 
people both enjoy it and, and find something unique in it and also use it as a springboard to come back to the book, which just has yeah. much more complex and thoughtful elements, I think, about identity and veracity and, and manipulation and oppression in societies. I just a lot more thoughtful things going on in the book. Yeah. We should call out, though, one of the things that makes this unique is the animation style. This is uh, its own thing in that sense. And, and it is very expressive animation. It borders on expressionistic because it distorts facial anatomy to underscore whatever emotions being portrayed. And I was reminded, too, of Mitchell's versus Machines. I was also reminded of the horse from Tangled Maximus, who was kind of the yes. hero of that book. It's a very funny, it's instinctively funny kind of just expressions. You also see the ostrich from Fantasia, too. Totally. Absolutely. It's old school. I really loved watching the fight sequences and watching mm-hmm. Nimona transform in quick succession. Those were some of the most beautiful sequences in the webcomic and in the book. And watching them in a completely different art style, in kind of a different context, but with similar humor and fun. They were really lively and fun to watch. Like, I just really liked seeing the way that they adapted Andy Stevenson's very unique, very quirky and recognizable Uh art style into something completely different and still also kind of the same. It was very fun. I think there's just also a, a rhythm and a voice that American animation is developing right now that's very much indebted to the original Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Mm, the sure. notion that you can just pour things onto the screen, like more things than anybody can take in in a first viewing, that you can just move your story along at the speed of light, that you can constantly change where the camera is and sort of the, the viewpoint within a scene – to add more dynamism. Like all of these things are making their way into other animated films, like The Bad Guys or Puss and Boost's The Last Wish. The new Spider-Verse movie ups the ante on all of that. Mm-hmm. And it all ends up feeling like the rhythm of American animated film is speeding up immensely. Mm-hmm. And I love the energy of this movie. I, I love the way that the chase and action sequences turn into these just like celebratory acts of, of mayhem uh, with fast-paced music behind them. Like, (laughs) there's a lot that goes on in this movie visually that's just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of the writing, I mean, look, at one point in this movie, Nimona impersonates Ballister and has him say things like, I think babies are ugly and I hate smiles and I'm littering (laughs) and I feel like freestyle jazz. Oh, by the way, I can turn into you. Well, for the record, that is nothing like me. You're right. You're never that much fun. Is that the highest hanging fruit? No, it is not. But I laughed. I thought the the joke-for-joke effectiveness here was at a pretty good ratio. This film, as you both have said, is markedly different from the book on which it's based. And let's do a little history here. It was originally going to be produced by Blue Sky Studios. Blue Sky Studios was the Fox animation studio that did Ice Age. Blue Sky was acquired by Disney in the Fox merger. And, of course, it's Disney. They don't need an animation studio. They are an animation studio. So, eventually, Blue Sky was shuttered. And this was one of several projects that was canceled even though the production was pretty far along. Eventually, Annapurna comes along to pick up the film for release on Netflix. Now, some former Blue Sky animators have gone on record saying Disney always had problems with this film's queer subplot, particularly a same-sex kiss. 
Annapurna kept that subplot, kept the kiss, but they made all these other changes. And the directors have said the changes they made were necessary because they're turning a very serialized episodic comic into a three-act film. And D. Stevenson has been quoted as saying he's fine with all these changes because the most important thing to him was that Nimona stay the same, that she not be softened, that she still has that metal, <laughs> very hard edge. She not be softened, not defanged. Or for want of a better word, Disneyfied. And mm-hmm. I think in this film, from what I remember from the book, it's really Ballister who gets softened so much that they change his name from Ballister Blackheart to Ballister Boldheart. Yeah. They do also take the book's subtext of a relationship between Ballister and the knight Ambrosius, who's uh, voiced by Eugene Lee Yang, and make it text. So, Mallory, what would you make of those changes? It's positive, negative? What's... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the change between... Ballister Blackheart versus Ballister Boldheart is a very mm-hmm. stark one. Um, reading the book, you know, the book takes place years and years and years post, you know, this traumatic event where Ambrosius and Ballister kind of, you know, have a last joust. And this is how Ballister loses his arm. You know, there's a lot of like, resentment and tension there. And Ballister Blackheart has had years and years and years to sit with this and fester and kind of come into his own identity as a villain, a villain who doesn't kill people, but still a villain, again, at least a villain as he has been kind of called and cast by the Institute. But also to some degree, a a self-labeled villain. I think one of the really fun things about the book is that villainy and heroism are almost job titles. It's it's very clear that Ballester labeling himself a villain or being labeled a villain is almost just like a a label that one would put on oneself. It doesn't have the the tang of a superhero film. It just more has the tang of maybe the information that you'd put like in your Twitter bio. Yeah, like this is the role that I'm, I've taken on in this society. Villain, yeah. mad scientist, uh, upender of society. Yeah. Because once everyone sees you as a villain, that's what you are. They only see you one way, no matter how hard you try. I did really, really like that, you know, it made queer subtext text because, you know, when the webcomic was coming out, I mean, everyone was already sort of shipping (laughs) Golden Loin and Blackheart. Like the art was already sort of coming out at the time. And it was always very clear and obvious what Endy was doing in the book with these characters, where this tension was coming from. And I think when you're kind of traveling in the same circles of like Tumblr and fanfic and fan art that I think Endy Stevenson was sort of like also mired in, you have this common visual language that you're both kind of touching on. Mm -hmm. And it would have been really sad to have lost that, I think, It's important, I think, to see that these characters were really happy and they loved each other and have that be, you know, obvious, especially because you're aiming this at children. You know, it's really important for these kids to see, you know, these two knights get to be in love for a time at least. But what if they still hate me? No one hates a hero of the realm. They're going to love you. Like I do. I wish that 
bold heart in the movie could have been a little stronger and a little less passive. Oh, yeah. You know, I love Riz Ahmed, but I think he could have had a little more fun chewing the scenery as Ballister Blackheart. Bold heart is just kind of stuttering a lot of the time and like, oh, what's that? But, you know, he's just sort of lost all the time. And I wanted a little more, I don't know, boldness <laughs> from him, I guess. Huge agree. Yeah, sure. That scene in the subway where she is imitating him as a truly evil person by how much he litters. I mean, that was when the character came most alive for me. And I was like, I want to see this guy. Exactly. Like, this this guy's fun. (laughs) Yeah, one of the big defining pieces of the book, I think, is the tension between Ballister and and Goldenloin. And that's just completely lost in the movie. And I'm so torn over it because they're an out gay couple in a society that doesn't seem to have any problem with that. Like, there's no sense of, like, asperity or prejudice against them. There's no sense that any of the problems that they face are because of their identity in that way. And that just seems like something we need more of in in film Mm -hmm. in general, you know, a queer stories that aren't incredibly fraught and, and full of emotionally damaging trauma. At the same time, I just, I love the slow burn of the book and the way they have so much between them that's related to their class and the mm-hmm. other ways that they identify, the other ways that they see themselves and the roles that they've put themselves in that they have to overcome in order to come back to this very simple idea that they actually like each other. It's mm-hmm. just a really beautifully crafted narrative that gets very flattened out in favor of a very simple narrative that's just a very positive relationship. So I can't yeah. argue with putting a positive, like open, loving queer relationship on screen it's just it loses so much of the tension you know it loses so much of the nuance and I think some of the maturity too because the Mm -hmm. way that their relationship ends in the book and some of the revelations that come out late in the book about the circumstances around how Blackheart lost his arm really add a lot of themes of forgiveness and adults meeting each other again after a time and realizing that they're different people, you know. um, Acknowledging your own flaws, acknowledging your own failings. And acknowledging kind of where you were manipulated, right? And, And I think acknowledging just in a really critically important way that you can hurt other people without intending to. And just because you didn't mean to does not absolve you of what you did. And that's just a a big theme in the book. I think in in several different ways, that's really important that gets a little lost in this film. Let me throw this out at you. Okay, so you got a kid or there's a kid in your life and uh, they're young and you want to expose them to these themes, these thoughts, the story. Maybe you start them with the movie and then when they get a little bit older and can grasp, you know, more complicated thoughts and, and, and understand what nuance is, maybe then you hand them the book. What do you think of that progression? The book certainly feels like it's aimed more at teens and up. Yeah. I think some of the, the queering of the humor in it particularly, just mm-hmm. the, the degree to which it, it takes kind of conventional notions of societies or uh, jokes about mad scientists or <laughs> jokes about good and evil even and it takes them to kind of extreme and silly and yet emotionally deep new places is just it's it's meant for an older audience than this but i i think the real discussion that this movie would open up with smaller children in particular is 
kind of like some of the discussions that Pixar's Inside Out opened up. Mm-hmm. There's a well of despair that this movie goes to. There mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. suicidal ideation in this movie that's yeah. really painful in a way. And I think this would be a good movie to be prepared to stand by and and talk to kids in particular afterwards to talk about when you have these dark feelings, uh, what it feels like and what brings characters out of it in this story and how it relates to real life. I I think this movie could be a real discussion starter in that vein, but I think it's also going to surprise some people with how dark it goes. Yeah. This is not a film to just plop kids in front of. This is not a babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. It does go to some dark places, which I was a little surprised by because I don't remember and I don't think that there is necessarily overt suicidal ideation in the book. So, I mean, I think it's it's worth kind of just mentioning to people who might be sensitive to that, that this is in this movie and, yeah, be prepared to talk about that. Yeah. Okay, I think we'd all maybe recommend the movie. We all are definitely 100% read the book. Just, just just read the book. We want to know what you think about Nimona. Just find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Mallory Yu, Tasha Robinson, thank you so much for being here. Always so fun. Well, thank you for having us. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet and you want to show your support and listen to the show without any sponsor breaks at all, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Anna Isaacs and edited by Mike Hetziff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.